Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. So this morning I want to pick up right where Jacob left off last week. In Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 15, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me as I read these words from Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction." Lest, when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted, the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city And then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. Father, sometimes your word is hard, and sometimes it exposes us to things that are really challenging. And God, I think if we're honest, this is one of those texts that that as we just meditate on it and think about it, we do understand that this this is a difficult passage to process And so, God, I pray that as we consider it this morning, that you will give us insight and wisdom. God, that you will help us to understand just how seriously you take sin and rebellion. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. With the cartoon VeggieTales as um, as our point of reference today, one of the details you can't help but notice is the the that they left out was the was the outcome of the Battle of Jericho. Again, you, it's on YouTube. You can go back and watch it. But they got the walls falling down. They got that part right. But there was a little bit of the story that they missed. Now, to be fair, VeggieTales was committed to teaching big spiritual truths to children in about 20 minutes worth of cartoon. Uh, and specifically not to terrify children with the perceived harshness of some of the biblical story. I could have talked about this this morning with them, but we figured, you know what, let's, let's, let's take a, a little bit of a different approach with communicating these spiritual truths with our children. But there's no denying from the passage I just read, the biblical story ends with the total annihilation of all the inhabitants of Jericho. And so if we're going to be completely true to the biblical story, in the VeggieTales video, the French peas would have had to be skewered. Uh, in, order to, uh, in order to be true to the biblical story. All joking aside, this has been a sticking point for a lot of people. Maybe just one more joke. In his best-selling book, The God Delusion, atheist Richard Dawkins refers to the God of the Old Testament as a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. Journalist Christopher Hitchens complains that the Old Testament contains a warrant for indiscriminate massacre. Other critics of Christianity have leveled similar charges accusing God of crimes against humanity. And to be fair, if what happened in Jericho were to happen today, if if we even hear this being described with what's happening in Ukraine as Ukrainian troops push back against 
places that Russia had, had held. They talk about crimes against humanity as they find mass graves and examples of civilians, non-combatants being tortured. We, we hear that today. We, we understand that, uh, that even as Christians, there's, a, there's an idea of just war, even as Christians. And, and just war says that if you go to war, you're fighting against enemy combatants. You're not fighting against civilians. And we've watched as Russia has repeatedly bombed civilian targets, whether it be train stations or apartment buildings or those sort of things. And so there's great crimes against humanity that are even happening uh, in our day and time. But in this day and time, in biblical, the biblical context, as, as Christians, we affirm the authority and legitimacy of both Testaments. We certainly adore the New Testament and the gospel story that it presents to us and the, the teachings that are given to us on the church and the nature of the church, but we also affirm the legitimacy and inerrancy of the Old Testament. We believe the Old Testament is, is beneficial for us. It's not something that we just write off and forget. It's not something that we ignore. Otherwise, we wouldn't be spending time going verse by verse through the book of Joshua. We affirm the legitimacy and the inerrancy of the Old Testament. But passages like this leave us with some challenges. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, this is an uncomfortable place for you as a Christian. You read these accounts in the Old Testament, and you're hoping that maybe they're just embellished a little. Because if it's embellished, then we can feel better about it. We don't have to have these difficult conversations with Dawkins and Hitchens and others who say that, that there's a different God in the Old Testament. Because again, that's something that's sometimes leveled here. Um, we like to sing the songs like, what a friend we have in Jesus. I mean, we love the picture of Jesus as our, as our Savior, as Jesus as our friend, as Jesus who walks with us in the garden even, even whatever garden it is that we're walking in. We like, to he we like that image that we receive in our, even in our Christian hymnody. And you'll find, though, that there's not a lot of hymns that celebrate Israel's annihilation of the Canaanites. We, we song, sung this morning about the God of angel armies, but we didn't tag that with, and he destroyed the Canaanites, bless God. We didn't do that. We, we didn't offer that as a, as, a, as a bridge to the song that we're singing. And so what we start doing is we start trying to come up with possibilities that make us feel better. Let, let's explain this away because that's what we do when, we don't, when we're uncomfortable with, with something. We, let's explain this away. Let's go to that commentary that explains this away. Yeah, maybe, maybe Joshua embellished the report just a little bit. Kind of like Tennessee fans this morning. Man, Tennessee fans walk in, we destroyed Alabama. Oh, no, you didn't. You, they missed a field goal. You got a field goal. You won by three points and six feet. If that is a destruction, then I don't want to see what a victory is. Uh, you, you barely won last night. and so, so maybe this is embellished just a little bit. Maybe it's figurative language, right? This is just figurative. It's not literal. It's not literal. Uh, maybe Jericho is just a military garrison. It was a, it was a military target with no civilians involved. And so by their destruction, they just took out combatants. They didn't take out civilians. The problem with all those explanations are dishonest. They ignore what is given to us in the biblical text. You know, it's not like Israel was invading the United States of Canaan and they had to get by Fort Jericho. 
You know, we're used to seeing historic forts around our country. We, we think about forts that, uh, that used to guard our coastlines, Fort Sumter in South Carolina or maybe Fort Pulaski down there on the Georgia coast. Or if you've been to St. Augustine, that big Spanish fort, Castillo de San Marcos. You know, you, you've seen these forts. They guarded the coastline. There's cannons. There's stories about what happened in those places. And you think, you know, the, the, the invading navy had to get past that fort in order to invade the nation. But Canaan was not a nation. It's not like it was a, a big country that was being taken. It was a collection of little bitty city-states and little bitty kingdoms. And all these little bitty city-states and kingdoms shared similar culture and religion, but they weren't really united. It's not like they were all together in that regard. And so Jericho was more than just a military garrison. It was a city, and it had been surrounded by fields and farms. When we find out that the Israelites ate from the fruit of the land of Canaan, Where'd they get the fruit from? Well, the people of Jericho had farmed it. And so they were eating from the fields around Jericho. That's what they were doing. And Joshua 6 begins with a very clear statement. Jericho was shut up inside and out. What does that even mean? That means that everyone who worked outside the city was brought into the city, and these people were ready to weather a siege. Because that's how you defeated a walled city in the ancient world. You sieged them. You cut off their resources. You cut off their supplies. You read the book of Lamentations, and you will find out about the, the siege of Jerusalem and the terrible things that people in Jerusalem had to endure during a siege that they were facing. Jericho was ready to weather the siege. The problem is that the report given to us in God's word here tells us who was saved from this whole battle. It's a very small inventory of people. The roster is very short. It was Rahab and her family. It was Rahab and her family. And, and those weren't fighters. It's not like that they had put on the armor and they were going out there to fight. These people were doing exactly what they were asked to do. They stayed holed up in their home with a scarlet cord hanging out the window, and that's who was saved from the battle of Jericho. That means if other Jerichoites were saved, we would have known about it. But there weren't. Everyone, every living thing, within the walls of that city were destroyed unless they lived in Rahab's house. Again, that leaves us feeling a little bit uncomfortable. It leaves us with a, how do we, how do we process this? How do, we, how do we celebrate this even? Again, we think of, I think of a similar passage. I think of, of the flood. You know, the flood was another one of these times where, where iniquity and evil was so great that the only thing that could be done was to start over. Who was saved out of the flood? The people who lived in that boat. Noah and his family and a very limited selection of animals is who was saved from that flood. Again, we look at that and we, we, we think, man, I'm sure glad God saved Noah, but we have to think of the other side of that, of the people that weren't saved, the people who did not make it to the ark. So, do I believe that God meant what he said when he ordered Israel to destroy everything? I do, because I believe God. I trust what God says. But doesn't that just reaffirm what the critics say? Doesn't that show God to be some sort of bloodthirsty, indiscriminate, genocidal God here? I think there's some things that we need to keep in mind to help us answer that question. The first thing we need to keep in mind is this, and this is a hard truth, but it is true. Life is God's to give, and life is God's to take. Our life was never ours to begin with. 
We had no say-so in its arrival, and we really don't have much say-so in its departure. It's the reality. It's not ours. It's not ours at all. Uh, the lives of our children. We are, we are key in bringing them into the world, but it's still up to God. It's not, we, don't, we, don't make, we don't create that when that happens. And so life was never ours to begin with, and, and this is heavy for us. If you've lost a child, if you've suffered a miscarriage, those are re- that reality is it was never our life. It, was never our, it, was ne- it never belonged to us. It always was and always will be God's. Even if your mom is the Queen of England, and you know the official cause of her death was old age. I mean, what a, what a way to go. I thought, you know, when I die, I'd really love to just have a massive heart attack in my sleep and, and go to sleep and, and not wake up. Uh, and I've thought about that, and, and I think, man, the, the Queen of England just died of, of, of old age, you know? No, no comorbidities is another word we've learned to use a lot over the last two years. She just died of old age, and we don't know why some people live to their 90s or 100s even, and why some people never even get to be born. Sometimes we think, you know, it'd be great if we just had the answer, but we don't. We don't know why some people die in car accidents or mass shootings. We don't know why some people die as heroes running into a burning building or stopping a crime in progress. We don't know the answer to those questions. I think Job said it simply and perhaps the most concise way to word it in Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job lost everything except his terrible wife. (laughs) The one thing he probably wishes God, you go and take her. He left her. And this is what Job says in Job 1.21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No explanation. Job didn't know why everything happened to him. Job didn't know why he lost everything. Job didn't know why his kids suffered the terrible fate that they suffered. He didn't know the answer to those questions. But Job still came to the conclusion they were the Lord's to begin with. He gave them. They were still the Lord's. He took them away. And even in the midst of such terrible, terrible suffering, Job comes to the conclusion, even so, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a a heavy response, but it's the right response. Sometimes I think I want to know why these things happen. I I look at suffering and trials. I look at death and all these sort of things. And, I, you know, God, it sure would be nice if you could tell me why this happened, why this tragedy happened, why this shooting happened, why this, why this child died. It'd be helpful to know those things, and, you know. But, but here's the thing. My faith, my faith is not at all contingent upon the answer. It's not contingent upon the answer because it's the Lord gave It's the Lord's to take away. You know, the Canaanites, the citizens of Jericho, they may have rejected God's rule over them. They may have said that they didn't want the God of Israel to be their God, but they could not avoid God's authority over them. Jacob rightly pointed out last week that the Israelites didn't necessarily have to understand how the city was going to be conquered, but God understood how the city was going to be conquered. And God doesn't have to grant us understanding. And our faith is not contingent upon God giving us disclosure on the way he does and why he does what he does. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. It's what I shared with the children earlier. Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Just stop and think about that. Aren't you glad that's true? 
Because sometimes, I mean, if you're like me, you just feel like a bumbling idiot handling things. You, 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 make, you think you make the right decision, it's the wrong decision. You, you think you're, you're going the right way and it's the wrong way. And, and you, you think you're doing things for the right reason and it's not. And, and you, you know, again, life is like that. It's, it's, it's a pattern of, of that in our life. We're, we're trying, but, but man, we have, we have such limited vision. We have such a short, shortened vision of what the outcomes are going to be. Thank God he doesn't operate that way. Thank God he doesn't. You know, we take a step, and, and we don't know where that next step is going to lead us. We don't have, I mean, we can sometimes think about it and pray about it and guess, but every step we take is, is at best, it's what? It's an educated speculation. I think this is the right way to go. And sometimes we have a high degree of confidence in it. You ever took, taken a step with a very, very low degree of confidence in it? You're not sure what the outcome is going to be. You think this is right, but you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. God looks at us and he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, but he keeps going. He says, for the heavens are higher than the earth, and so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There may have been Israelites who were looking at what was about to happen in Jericho and say, God, I've got, I've got butterflies in my stomach about what's about to happen. But God says, my ways are better than your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. He operates with the end always in mind. And if you're a Christian today, it's so refreshing to know this. God has a better plan in mind. God has a better outcome in mind. For the non-Christian, this is really hard. Why? Because they don't trust God to begin with. They don't trust God to begin with. They look at Jericho and they, 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 they look at Jericho as skeptics because they don't trust God. As Christians, we look at Jericho and we say, you know what, I, I don't understand it, but I certainly trust God. I don't recognize why this is what it is, but I certainly trust God. For the Christian, we trust God, and that trust is absolutely comforting. Another important thing to understand about this, though, is that God gave the city of Jericho plenty of time to repent from their sins. The Canaanite culture was awful. It was awful. It was awful when God promised to Abraham to give him the land. Back in Genesis 15, 16, God said, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There was gonna be 400 more years of sin piled up against the, the, the culture of the Canaanites, the Amorites. It's, it's like the land of Canaan was a soup that was cooking. Y'all, it's getting into fall, time to get the crock pots out. And, and uh, man, isn't, there, isn't it great to, to, to come home to a crock pot that's been cooking all day long? You know, you get in there in the morning and you, maybe you put a, put a pot of soup in the crock pot. You mix all the ingredients in and turn it on. If you take a bite of that soup right then and there, it may not be the best in the world. But that soup's had time to cook all day. If you're a parent, you know, kids will, kids will scrutinize everything in a soup. You know, they'll, the carrot, throw that away. The noodle, I'll eat that. But, but they'll scrutinize everything. And as a parent, you know that everything in that crock pot tastes like what? It tastes like soup. It doesn't matter. Because after it's cooked all day, what happens? It all sort of, the flavors and everything start to mingle together. And, and, and you get, this, you get this, this flavor that permeates the entire pot. The sins of the Canaanites were bad. And in 400 years of cooking in the pot, it was going to get much worse, and it was eventually going to permeate every last point of the culture. Don't miss this. We may be getting away with the nonsense as a society that we're getting away with right now, but it's in the pot 
and it's cooking. God let the Canaanites continue in their foolishness for 400 years. How long has our nation been losing its mind? 50, 60, 70 years? So God's long-suffering and God is patient. What do we see happening with the perversion of our day? It's almost like it's in the crock pot and it's starting, to per, it's starting to get through the entire culture, to the entire civilization. It's even got into the church. There, there are mainline denomination churches that, that have celebrated a lot of the perversion and, and disgusting behaviors of our society today and they're celebrating it and welcoming it. And it's, it's working its way through the whole society because that's how sin works. That's why yeast is often a symbol for sin. If you try to make bread, you put yeast in the dough, that yeast doesn't stay in one little part of the bread. The, the yeast eventually will, will permeate the entire dough, and that's exactly how sin works. It permeates the entire batch. And people look at Jericho and say, God was bloodthirsty and cruel. But if Christians look at Jericho and we say, you know what? God was real patient with Jericho. He gave them plenty of time to, to look for him, to seek him out. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The problem is we just don't see a long list of Canaanites who took advantage of God's forbearance. It's a real short list who took advantage of God's patience. The Canaanites were brutal and aggressive. They engaged in all kinds of perversions that violated not just God's revealed law, but even natural law. Most of the things that God prohibited in the law when it came to, to personal sin and behavior were things the Canaanites were happy to, to reject and, and, and celebrate. Worship of those false demonic idols of Canaan required prostitution, gross immorality, rampant child sacrifice. But even in this, the Canaanites could choose to reject the sins of their people and trust in the true and living God. It was rare, but it wasn't impossible. And we see a shining example of that in the text that we're looking at today, Rahab. She was somebody that was able to turn her back from the sin of her society, and she was raised in the middle of it. She made her living off the immorality of the nation but when she saw God for who he was and saw God's people and, 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 and how God was working in them, we see a dramatic change in Rahab's life. Another thing we need to keep in mind as we sort of process this, and this is so important for us today, Israel and the church are not the same thing. We are grafted into the tree of Israel as the people of God, but we are not, it's, the church is not a nation like Israel as a nation. As Christians, we believe God gave government the responsibility of rewarding good and punishing iniquity. We even believe that civil government has the authority to punish evil with death if necessary. Listen to Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We understand that government working in its capacity as God has intended has the ability to punish evil. That's why we see no issue, per se, with, with people being incarcerated. We biblically can stand on the, 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 the right for the state to punish capital um, murder, um, uh, murderers with, with capital punishment. We recognize that the state has that, has that right and has that authority. The church today is not the government. We don't have permission to punish evildoers. I mean, there are times that we probably wish we could. Right, you know, there are times that we wish we could, we could drag the evildoer out and, and give him 39 lashes or something. The only time that we as Christians have the authority to punish evildoers is, is when we're acting as agents of the state. And so a Christian law enforcement officer who, is, who walks upon a felony that's in progress, a, a, a police officer can draw his weapon and in a moment he can make a decision. Does he pull the trigger or not? He is acting with a badge under the authority of the state. He has the right to do that. Now, if he chooses poorly, there are consequences that go along with that. A, a Christian soldier, can Christians enlist in the military? There's no, nothing prohibi prohibiting us from doing that. But a, a Christian soldier who's on the front lines can use his rifle to defend himself against an enemy combatant because he's acting under the authority of the state. We understand that. But as the church, we don't, we don't have that authority. We don't have, that's not granted to us in, in Scripture. A couple of years ago, there was a series of murderers in Atlanta at some seedy massage establishments. You may remember this, this happening. The man who did the shooting went to different massage parlors and, and shot and killed some of the people who were there. And it came out, because the media loves this kind of stuff, it came out that he was a member of a Baptist church. Uh, so Southern Baptist, he was a member of a Southern Baptist church. Now, again, doesn't mean much anymore because, uh, because so many churches have lowered the requirements for membership or don't even practice biblical membership and that sort of thing. But here's a guy. He says he's a Southern Baptist. He goes on a shooting spree in downtown Atlanta, kills a bunch of people, and the church has, a, has to do something. Now, the church couldn't go get him and bring him before the church and punish him. That wasn't in their authority. That's up to the state, the civil authority to do. What did the church do? The church took action against him, but they took spiritual action. They excommunicated him from their church. They treated him as they would treat a non-believer and saying, you're no longer allowed to be a member of our church. That was, their, that was within their jurisdiction. That was in, within their authority. But we have to keep in mind that the church and the state are different. And the church, when they excommunicated him, did not go beyond their authority. The state, however, has every right to punish him as up, up into uh, corporal punishment. Needless to say, VeggieTales didn't have time to get into this. But just like the children down here didn't understand the Pythagorean theorem, it's true, they didn't understand it. It is good for us to be aware of these truths so that we can at least engage in a conversation with the watching world. But one other shortcoming of VeggieTales episode at hand, it shows at the end, if you go watch it, it's great. They show the wall was completely destroyed. And the six Israelite vegetables march in and the peas run off to go start a new, a new city or whatever they do. The Israelites march in and they're standing in the midst of, of complete destruction. They've got dust on their faces. I mean, it's, it's really great. But they show the entire city being destroyed. And we understand that that's not completely accurate because the wall was 
drop flat. Archaeologists will tell you they've, they've excavated Jericho, and there's, there's plenty of archaeological evidence that suggests something dramatic happened in the archaeological dig of, of Jericho. But there was one place that remained, and it was the house of Rahab. Can you imagine the site? Here is this massive walled city. The walls have fallen flat. There is nothing but carnage and chaos and death and destruction everywhere you turn. But standing there, once the dust had cleared, was that one part of the wall with a scarlet cord hanging out of the window, the place that Rahab lived. That's an incredible picture for me. It reminds me of those stories you hear about the family Bible surviving the house fire. You know, somebody's house is lost in a fire, but they go clean through the rubble, and there's a, there's a Bible that the pages are untouched. Reminds me, we were working in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi with the church after Hurricane Katrina came through, and this church was about three blocks off the coast. And so the church was still standing, but everything between the church and the coast was completely obliterated. It looked like the pictures we've seen come out of Fort Myers and everything down there. And it's just exhausting. If you've never worked in a disaster zone, you can only take so much. And so you have to kind of take a break and get away to clear your head. And, and one afternoon, we, we kind of finished at the church, and we were walking. We said, let's walk up to the, to the coast and just see. And we're walking through all this carnage, and I look down, and I guess your pastor's a looter, because I, I, technically speaking, I was looting. Uh, I looked down, and there was a light bulb in this carnage everywhere, carnage, broken lumber and shingles and sheet metal. I mean, it was terrible. But I looked down in the middle of this, this chaos, and there was a light bulb. And I picked it up, and I said, I'm just more of a mental exercise. I took it back to the church, and I screwed it in. And you know what? That light bulb came on. Uh, in the middle of all this devastation, that light bulb survived. We'll get into Rahab's story more next week. But I want to end with this. We talked about Rahab back at the end of August. We met her in Joshua chapter 2, and She's a lady with a bad reputation. She's like a lot of young ladies throughout history, and even in our own day and time, she turned to an illicit profession to try to provide for the needs of her family. But one thing about Rahab that you can't deny is that she was a woman who was paying attention. And she knew that their city had a target on it and that the God of Israel is not one to toy with because the God of Israel means business. And Rahab shows us a very critical truth, one that we don't need to ignore. Saving faith saves us from destruction. Other people in Jericho had the same opportunity. It wasn't that there was a secret, that, that Rahab was the one who saw it. Nobody else had the chance to see it. You know everybody knew what was happening. Everybody knew what was coming. There was no secret that the, the Jordan River was backed up and that this massive nation crossed the Jordan River. There's no secret that the, 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 the people across the Jordan River suffered defeat at the hands of these people. There was no secret that the God who belonged to these people, these people's God, that he was a God that meant business and nobody could stand against him. It was no secret that, that you couldn't go up against the God of Israel. And Rahab recognized that if she was going to be saved, that was the pathway in which it would happen. Everybody else had the same opportunity. Rahab wasn't the only person paying attention but she was the only person who realized the truth and realized the reality. And she knew that her only hope was in the God of Israel. 
And again, did she have great faith that can move mountains? Would she have been the first to jump in the Jordan River? Probably not. But she had enough faith to recognize that the God of Israel was a God worth trusting. And so what happened? She turned her back on her pagan culture, and she had faith in the God of Israel, her and her family, and what God do. Saved them. Delivered them. Rescued them. And her house became this incredible monument of God's deliverance, of God's protection, of God sparing them from judgment. Her house, the only thing left standing. Her house with a scarlet cord hanging through the window. What happened there? Nothing happened. Why? Because God saved Rahab. In the middle of one of the darkest stories of the Old Testament, we have this incredible picture of God's power and this stunning picture of God's grace. Men and women, we live and work and learn in the middle of a culture that is running at light speed away from the God of the Bible. We live in a culture where up is down, left is right. We don't even know what's true anymore. We live in a society where, where news isn't dependable, where, where I could go on and on. But faith in Jesus is still what saves us from God's final judgment against sin. And that's what we believe. As followers of Jesus, that is what we very much believe, is that faith in Jesus is what saves us from God's final judgment against sin. And so if you're here today and your biblical knowledge doesn't extend beyond VeggieTales, it'd be good to go ahead and read up on the rest of the story. Because the story of Jericho and the story of Rahab is a powerful story of God's holiness and his hatred of sin, but it is a powerful story of God's redemptive power, and that redemption is available to everyone who would turn from their sin and trust in Christ. Jericho reminds us that God takes sin and rebellion seriously, and some people carry on in their sin without worrying about the cost. Some people are following along with the depravity of our own society, and they're not considering the cost, and Jericho reminds us that God is serious about sin. Jericho also reminds us that God is abundant in his grace. And this morning, if you haven't given your life to Christ, turn from the evil of our day and trust in Jesus, then let today be the day that you follow Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word for the hard things, for the things that challenge us, for the things that, God, if we're honest, they just don't make sense. But God, thank you that even if we don't understand, even if, if we are left with questions, we trust you and we have the absolute confidence that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. You operate with the end in mind. And though I've experienced grief in my life, and I know that people in our church have experienced the grief in their lives, and 
God, sometimes in the middle of our grief, we're left asking, why? And God, you don't often give the answer. But still we trust. As Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. May we rest in that confident hope that we have. And may any of us here today that perhaps we are a little too cozy with the lost and dying world, that we would recognize your patience with us and that we would take advantage of your patience, which gives us time to repent and that we would turn from sin and that we would trust in Jesus. Rahab becomes a sterling example of your grace. She goes from being a prostitute in Jericho to a member of the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, if you can rescue her from destruction, God, you can save any of us here today. And so may we, like Rahab, see the, see the writing on the wall, see your hatred for sin, but see how you have poured out your hatred on the cross so that we could be restored and forgiven and given new life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the city of Jericho and what it teaches us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.